Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. This is lesson two on the principles of training, talking about training up our children in the way they should go. We are living right now in fulfillment of the words of the Apostle Paul that came by the Holy Ghost saying that in the latter days, children would be disobedient to their parents, disrespectful even to authority, all kinds of authority. And of course, we've seen that happen in these latter days. Children disrespecting their parents, more concerned about pleasures and amusements than they are about the things of the living God. And we don't want our young people to get the idea that those things come before God. He is first and foremost and should be first and foremost in their lives. I believe one of the major reasons why this has happened is due to the fact that young people have not been taught the Word of God as from a youth. And they began to take a course of action in their life that would gratify their sensual desires. Parents were not doing their responsibility in fulfilling their duties and keeping their children's flesh in check. And as children began to run wild and as they were turned over to, their, to themselves, really, given to themselves, to their own flesh and their own desires, they raise up children doing the same thing. And before you know it, one generation leads to the decline of another. And before you know it, you've got a rebellious society on your hands. Thank God that we can train up our children the way they should go. Can you say amen to that? Now, I know that when you preach a message like this, not everybody gets electrified with faith. You know, not telling you how to uh, pay your bills and get your body healed and delivered and set free. But I'll tell you something, this is important. And if you want to stay well and if you want the blessings of God to abide upon you and your household forever, and we saw last week up to 200 years the blessings of the Lord were abiding upon the, this one family because the Father taught His children to do the right thing. And they obeyed, and here's another part of that. The children obeyed their father and handed that down to their children who obeyed their father who, and right, on, right after, you know, one after another. And thanks be to God, for 200 years, the blessings of the Lord rested upon the family. Verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we said that training involves more than teaching. Training involves more than teaching. Teaching deals with the mind and the intellect, but training deals with the will of a child. And we gave some principles of training. I want to repeat just the last one, and then we'll go on from there. And we said that example is better than precept. When it comes to fulfilling our responsibilities and duties as parents and training up our children, we must know the principle that Example is far better than precept. And what we mean by that is the power of training lies in what we are and in what we do, not in what we say and just what we teach. It lies in what we are and what we do, not just in what we say and what we teach. Have you heard this one that says, do as I say, not as I do? Now, that's just backwards. Isn't that just like the world? Backwards. Do as I say, not as I do. It should be reversed. We should set the example, in other words, and do the right thing. And because children like to imitate, copy, and mimic their parents, we'll give them the right precept and example, and they'll see both working together to affect their consciousness so that moral truth can find its lodging in their hearts and in their minds. And to put it in very simple terms, if we don't want our children smoking, 
It's not enough just to teach them not to. Thank God for all the advertisements to talk about the dangers of it in the day in which we live. But parents then should not engage in it themselves. Don't set the wrong example. If you set the wrong example, your child is more apt to follow your footsteps because he sees you doing it. If it's okay with dad and mom, then it's okay with me. If we don't want our children drinking, then the same principle holds true. Then we shouldn't engage in it ourselves. We should set the right example. They see what we do. We shouldn't be drinking. If we don't want our children cussing, well, then the same thing is true. We shouldn't walk around the house cussing. You know, when you get saved, something happens to you. It doesn't take very long before you start getting sanctified. And, of course, one of the things is your tongue gets sanctified and you stop using that kind of language that you used, you know, before you got saved. I worked in a mill. I know what I'm talking about. I mean, I know exactly the language that is used. But when I first got saved, it was just, you know, it's not magical. Nothing is magical when it comes to the kingdom of God. But just like that, you just don't use that kind of language. You just stop using that kind of language. And it used to amaze me how some people would think, isn't that cute, that little two-year-old walking around talking, saying that word there? No, it's not cute. It's not cute at all. Setting a wrong example, a bad example. We should teach our children a better way to express themselves, amen, and a more intelligent way to express themselves other than using wrong language. So our children are more apt to follow our example rather than what we say. So we have to set the example by teaching them properly and also living before them properly, doing what is right. If we don't want them using drugs, of course, then we shouldn't be using drugs. If we don't want them gambling, then we shouldn't instill any of those tendencies inside their young hearts and minds when they're young by gambling ourselves. Well, what harm is there to playing this or doing that and putting a penny or a nickel on this here? Well, if you start instilling that stuff into a child's heart and mind, all you're doing is opening up a door to a demon spirit of lust that can come upon that child and get that child involved in heavy gambling when he grows up. Oh, that's a little bit far-fetched. Well, I'll tell you what, the demon spirits of darkness don't think so. They're looking for every opening in any place, any territory that they can find access to. If we don't want our children getting involved in witchcraft and uh, spiritism and all that, then stay away from reading your horoscope in the newspaper. Don't give any place or territory to the devil. You know, don't let your child see you say, Well, I wonder what today is going to bring. Let's open up the paper and find out. Well, I'll tell you what today is going to bring. Open up the Bible and find out because it tells you right there. It's a great day, the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad. Hallelujah. Today's a day of victory. Shouting and praise, God is on my side. He's greater in me than any devil, any demon, and whatever need I have, He meets it according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Maybe the, the day that you find your wife. The Bible says you find out the wife finds a good thing. Amen. If you say it long enough <laughs> and get it inside your heart. So don't give place. If, and this is one that's a toughie in the day in which we live, but I guess I'm getting bolder. I don't know. I must be getting bolder. If we don't want our children involved in any kind of sexual activity, then don't promote it by bringing magazines into the house and don't follow the teachings and the, the ideas of the world system and the philosophies of men. Let's educate them and teach them about safe sex. No, open up the instruction book and find out the Bible says it's not good to touch a woman. And if you're at the point that you feel as though that you're going to burn with lust, then get married. Can you say amen or ouch? Amen. Let's say amen to it all. It's all true. In other words, don't... I know fathers are like this. Well, we'll just teach them, you know, what's the right thing to do. To protect themselves. Well, I'll tell you what. The right thing to do to protect itself is abstinence. That's the right thing to do. And then when you get married, praise God, the marriage bed is undefiled. So don't drop thoughts, hints, or ideas, and don't agree with the philosophies of the world. Agree with the Word of God and set the right example. Can you say amen?
And of course, no one's guilty of overindulging. If we don't want our children overindulging in anything, of course, set the right example. Let them show, or show them that we have self-control and they can also have self-control in their lives. If we don't want them stealing or lying, then don't come home from work one day with your lunchbox heavier than when you took it into the mill. And then pull out that brand new wrench. Don't do that. We had people that would go out the back way and take scrap and sell it and make money on the side, you know, doing, doing it like that. Well, if they caught you, you lost your job, that's for sure. But don't set the wrong example. Don't cheat on your income tax. Uh-oh. See, don't do things like that. If you feel as though that you got so much money back when you were at the grocery store and it was more than what you should have got, an extra three or four dollars or, or whatever, and you notice that, and you say, look, kids, they gave me back too much money. Don't keep it in your pocket and drive off. Go back into the store. Oh, Dad, what's a quarter? What's a quarter? That's true. What's a quarter? What's that quarter going to do for you in eternity? I'd rather give the quarter back and have a happy home in heaven than keep the quarter in my pocket and get a little hot around the collar. How about you? Do you get the gist of that? Go to hell for stealing is, is the point. So we don't want to start that and leave a, a demon spirit access to get into our lives and take control. And as we said, if you don't want your child lying and, you know, telling these small white lies, then when you're at home and the phone rings and it's for you, don't tell them when they answer the phone. Tell them I'm not here. Tell the truth. Say, I'm here, but I can't come to the phone right now. Or, if you need, I won't come to the phone right now. <laughs> but the thing is, truth is a whole lot better. Amen? And so instill with them at, in their hearts at an early age the right thing to do. Now, on the other hand, if we want our children praying, then we should pray with our children. If we want our children reading the Bible, then we should read the Bible to our children. If we want our children studying then we should set an example and show them. We study the Word of God. I think my children think that that's all that I do. Sometimes. Always studying, always doing this, and always praying and that, about this and about that and everything. But we have to set the example for them. And you see, they'll get into that habit. See, that's part of training is to, is to root and ground them in the correct habits that pertain to all areas of their lives in spirit and soul and in body. That's our responsibility. Now, there's blessings and benefits to all this. It really opens up an avenue through which God could move to bless us throughout all the days of our lives as we teach our children. And we know that we'll teach our children's children. The Bible says the blessings of the Lord will, will be upon you, rest upon your household. And you'll be blessed. And you'll live long. And you'll be preserved, the Bible says, upon the earth. What a blessing. Should Jesus tarry, we'll be preserved here upon this earth. Some to think about those who've, who've gone before us how they have influenced our lives just by their lives, the prayers that they have prayed. And I believe strongly in this. Just as the patriarchs of old prayed for their children and their children's children, their faith was working in the earth even though they departed to, to, to be on the other side with the Lord. Thank God for that. Thank God that we can leave behind us open avenues through which God can still move upon the lives of our children and our children's children after we have departed from this life. Thank God for that. The blood of Abel was still speaking out. And then, of course, if we want our children to develop good habits when it comes to tithing, we should show them we give a tithe. We give of our income to the Lord and then teach them that this is what you do. You, 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 know, you give. You go to church and you make sure that you give what you have. Set the example for them when it comes to tithing. See, some don't think about that because some parents don't do that themselves. And they wrestle with it. And here's where the problem comes in. They wrestle with it. How are you going to pass it on to your children if you wrestle with it and can't get it straight in your thinking? Beloved, I don't know why when it comes to this particular area, and I don't want to take too much time on it, but when it comes to this area, people have difficulty. You know what? I, we settled this a long, long time ago. I will not rob God. I refuse. You can have all kinds of teachers come and say, this means this for this. This was for back then. That's under the law and all this. You know what? 
It doesn't matter to me whether people think it's under the law, whether they don't think it's for today or not. I say this. The high priest that lives today, Jesus Christ, is worthy of my tithe if Melchizedek was worthy to receive the tithe from Abraham. Can you say amen to that? And so I don't argue the point. All I do is say, here's a tithe that belongs to you anyhow. It's yours, and I bless you with it, Father God, to promote your work upon this earth. I settle that thing in my life. When I couldn't do it, when we couldn't afford to do it, we did it, thank God. And that settles it. And we're teaching our children that you give to the Lord what belongs unto Him. And you set the example, and they could run with it. Hardworking. You want your child to be a hardworking child, a hard, to grow up to be a hardworking person? Set the example. Set that example. Don't be a lazy person yourself and don't be slothful. But show the example. Tell them yes, teach them yes, but also set the example. Show them that you're that hardworking person also. And the Bible teaches the, the, the ladies, the, the women to what? To teach their children how to be good housekeepers at home. And that's a responsibility that, that women have, that mothers have, to teach their daughters how to be good housekeepers in the home. Yeah, but you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm going to be a career woman. That's okay. When you get home, you still got to make the bed. Amen? Come on now. Say amen. You say, how would you understand all that? My mother's sitting back there, I think. No, she's not here today. But I, she's, this, is one to her, this is her philosophy. She taught me this when I was... We weren't even Christians. And she told me, just a you know, young boy, 11, 12, make your bed. How to make your bed. And I got inquisitive. I says, now, Mom, why is it that you want me to know how to make this bed this certain way? And she was meticulous about making a bed. She's the only person I know that would run a sweeper on the bed the moment you got out of it. <laughs> I guess I better thank the Lord she's down here today. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, she's just meticulous, meticulous, meticulous. Had to be hospital corners. You think you were in the army, you know? Bounce that quarter off of it. And I thought when I was just a young boy, I said, "Now, why in the world would you want me to learn how to make a bed? That's women's work." Now, you know, that's how you think as a young boy. And she always came back. She always had a response and a rebuttal for all these things. And she would say to me, "One of these days, you're going to grow up and you're going to get married." And when you do, if your wife is having some kind of attack in her body or whatever, she's not feeling well, you're going to be responsible because you're living in that household too to see to it that you do the housework. Well, I said, okay. I accepted that. So I learned how to make the bed the right way. And she taught me about folding sheets, fitted sheets, and all things like that. When we got married, now, this is almost 17 years later. We, we got married. Uh, we were doing some laundry together in... And, or she was folding the laundry and all that, and she had a problem with these fitted sheets. She just couldn't get them to fold right. Just kind of, you know, they just, just don't go right. Any of you ladies ever have a problem with that out there? Come see me after the service is over. <laughs> and I said, honey, what do you know? And she said, I can never get these things to fold right. Well, I said, well, give it to me. I'll show you how to do that. And she watched, and I put that thing together real nice, made it real nice in the square. She says, how in the world did you learn how to do that? I said, well, my mother taught me. She told me one day I was going to get married. And my wife was going to need help. <laughs> Believe me, she was right. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you want to have a career or what. You live in a house, there's housework to do. Amen? Amen. And so you see, the day's going to come. You're going to have to help. And so I took heed to that. It never did bother me. I mean, I... You know, I would do the housework, and it never bothered me to do things like that. Oh, I'm going to give you the other side, too. I'm just going to give you all the good side. I'm going to give you the other side, too. Show you where Jason got all of his strong will from, you know. But I did those things, and of course it was true. It's amazing how you find out your parents know a whole lot more than what you thought they knew when you were 11, 12, and 13, and 14 years old. As you grow older and have your own family and do all that. But the thing is, no matter who we are, we've got to have responsibilities fulfilled in our lives and we've got to learn. We've got to be taught. So if we want our young people to do the right thing, we have to set the example. We have to teach them the right thing to do. Now turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 23. 
and verses 13 and 14. And you could add number two to your list, or another principle of training, whatever number we're on. Add this to your list. Add physical discipline to moral instruction. And in our, you know, modern language, we can say it this way. Use the rod of learning and apply it to the seat of correction. Amen. The seat of learning, rather. I know it gets quiet when you talk about doing things like that in the day in which we live because if you just sneeze at your child or toward your child today, it's child abuse. Beloved, we have to receive the whole counsel of God. And God's Word says in Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. First of all, why should we add physical discipline to moral instruction? First and foremost, and make note of it, put it in your memory bank, share it with some of our psychologists today, because God said so. I think that's a pretty good reason. First and foremost, because God said so. God said to do it. And we are not wiser than God. We don't have more knowledge of God or understanding of God when it comes to rearing up our children. Training up our children in the way they should go. And he said, don't withhold correction from your child. If you beat him with the rod, he's not going to die. But as you beat him with the rod, he's going to, you're going to deliver that child's soul from hell. Secondly, another reason why is because discipline of the rod at an early age will serve as a motivating force in that child's life that will have a greater impact and influence upon his mind than can be brought upon him by presenting moral truth to his uninformed mind. And very simply, when we apply the rod of correction and we inflict a small amount of pain along with the moral instruction that we give that child, the pain reaches the uninformed mind and teaches that child a truth that his mind is not capable of receiving, at least to its full degree, just by having moral instruction taught. Get a hold of this. And let's, before we go any further, let's make a note of clarification. You see that word there, beat? It's misleading and deceiving. It is better translated in our modern language or English as spank. Spank. And what it means is to strike with the purpose or the intent of inflicting a small amount of pain for correctional purposes. It does not mean to strike, to abuse, to harm, or to injure. It does not mean that. And so if we just, just inserted that word spank there, you'll spank your child. When the child is in need of spanking, you will spank your child and don't withhold a spanking from him or her. Because in so doing, you will save that child's soul from hell. That's kind of different, isn't it? You mean a spanking will save my child's soul from hell? Yes. That's what the Scripture says. And so it implies this, and I'll say this again. To inflict a certain degree or amount of pain for correctional purposes, it does not mean to strike, to abuse, to harm, or to injure that child. And maybe a better way to illustrate it would be this. If your child's about 13 months, 14 months, 15 months, somewhere around there, 18 months old, starting to walk and get around, and the child's walking around and, and holding himself up or herself up on the, on the cupboards and going in the kitchen and walks right on through, 
no problem whatsoever, leaning against the cupboards, touches the refrigerator, no problem, finally leans over, touches the stove, it's cold, no problem, goes right around the whole room, gets over to the table, crawls up, pulls himself up on a chair, crawls, you know, walks around a little bit more. A few days later, doing the same thing, isn't that nice? She's starting to walk, he's starting to walk, look it. Finally, you start baking that morning and the child is starting to walk around the kitchen and there you are, the oven is on now, it's hot. And the same child is in the same room where he or she learned how to stand up and nothing was ever said. But all of a sudden, you say to that child's uninformed mind, now don't touch the stove because it's hot. Don't touch the stove because it's hot. And you get some big eyes looking up at you and a big old goo-goo and a gaga or whatever. And all of a sudden, closer and closer, and you pull the child away. Closer and closer, you pull the child away. I told you not to touch that because it's hot. You're trying to instruct that child's mind, to present a truth to that child's mind, but yet the uninformed mind is not capable of receiving the full concept of what you're saying. And all of a sudden, the phone rings, and you turn your back just for a split second. And the next thing you hear is a cry. And you see those two little fingers are red. What that means is this. That child may not have been able to understand to the full extent what you were trying to communicate in an intelligent way to that mind. But that child will understand the pain that was felt. And it will not be very long before that child, even when the oven is cold, will be very cautious so as not to touch that oven because of the pain it associates with touching it. And beloved, God knows more about rearing children than we do. And what He is saying is this. That child's mind is incapable of receiving moral truth as we can receive it because of the development of our minds. But as a child begins to grow up, pain, that pain, and remember, it's a small infliction of pain, will speak and have influence to that child's mind, over that child's mind, until it can be weaned away from that and the mind can be so, so developed that it can obtain or receive the influence, the appropriate influence of just the teaching or the correction that comes through the means of words and, you know, just teaching them by precept. And that's why God is saying, look, you've got to start at an early age and you must use the rod properly. And we're talking about using the rod and using it properly so as to help that child to better understand. And until that child can be weaned from that. You see, where teaching will have its full impact and influence, its appropriate influence over that mind, this will assist you in educating that child. It's not meant to abuse. It's not meant to injure or to bruise to such a degree that you bring harm to that child's life. God is saying it's intended to save that soul from hell. We say, well, if that's the case, well, then how? Well, first of all, let me give you another illustration here. And then we'll explain how it saves a child's soul from hell. In Florida one year, our youngest son, Jason, at the time is a small little one. Disrespectful to his grandmother. And Jason was a very strong-willed individual. Very good boy, but a very strong-willed individual. And when Jason wanted to do what Jason wanted to do, he would do it regardless if you're his parent, your mother, father, grand, it didn't matter who you are. And he was just that way. And we noticed the tendencies that were there in his life. Now, we just had two mild-mannered children, and we all of a sudden got a wild-mannered children. Same parents. First of all, we went to see if the birth certificate was right. 
called the hospital, found all the nurses that were involved, thought, well, maybe they gave me the wrong child, you know. You've never thought that about any of yours. Yours were all the same, right? Checked the mold to make sure it was the right one. And we found out, yep, it's legitimate. He's, he's really ours, you know. He's really ours. And this little boy was just extremely disrespectful. And we said, tell Grandma you're sorry. No. Tell Grandma you're sorry, Jason. No. That was a word that he just knew how to get hold of, just like that. And he went on. Would not, and he got one on the bottom. Didn't matter to him. He was stronger than that. Didn't matter to him in the least. Stood there to your face, would defy you and say no. Another one, a little bit harder. Another one, a little bit harder. Another one, a little bit harder. With every no, he got another one, a little bit harder. Because we recognize something. See, we saw, we saw this before, but we recognize this, this child is at a crucial and critical point in his young life. And if he wants to live to be any older in life, he said he won't die. He said right there, he won't die. He's going to have to shape up. We are going to have to do something about breaking this child's strong will. And so, we kept applying the rod of correction to the seed of learning. You know, and oh, after about, about 15 times, with a little bit harder each time, he finally broke. And he went to Grandma and said those two beautiful words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So sorry. And beloved, I mean to tell you, it was a critical time and a crucial time in his life. I mean that. Because you mark this down. A child that is strong-willed, a child that, that develops in selfishness to such an extent or degree that he, he's not concerned about anybody else, left to himself to do his own way, to do his own thing, is a child who will rebel against making anyone the Lord of his life, of their life. And it was our responsibility. See, we didn't have to do this with Lisa and BJ. But Jason, as I said, was different. And all our children, of course, in one way or another, are different. We didn't have to apply this with the others. But with him, it was as if we had to do this. Now I know. See, my dad's sitting back there. I know what you meant when you said it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Because it does, it hurts you as a parent to have to inflict any amount of pain or degree of pain upon your child's person. But when you realize that the Bible says you are cooperating with God, forget what the world says, forget human philosophy, you are cooperating with God. And we'll see here as we look at the Scriptures that a spanking, are you ready for this? A spanking will go so far as to affect the spirit of that child. It will actually minister life to the spirit of a child. Because that child cannot receive life just through word form. It doesn't make its full impact and have its appropriate influence upon their minds because they're uninformed yet. They cannot obtain and absorb all that knowledge. But that act changed that little boy's outlook. It was a, a crucial time. It broke him as far as being that way to that degree was concerned. And in this scripture it says, if we will do what God's Word says to do about using the rod of correction, we will spare, save that child's soul from hell. See, the soul involves the mind, the intellect, the will, and the emotions. And remember we said we're talking about the will. Teaching can influence the mind and the intellect, but the will, self-willed, See, a self-willed person left to himself will only do his will. And what's the first thing we have to do to come to Jesus? Deny yourself. We instill that with the rod of correction when necessary. And it was necessary. And because of it, that will was broken. It causes a child to be more submissive to the will of the parent 
who has the understanding of God. And then ultimately it leads that child to be submissive to the will of the Father. It starts at an early age. You can't start trying this when you're seven, they're 17 years old. Forget it. It won't work. We're talking about it from an early age. And we're not talking about abuse, harm, or injury. We're talking about inflicting a degree of pain for the purpose of educating and training. And just as that stove that was touched spoke to that child's mind and gave that child understanding, believe me, they may not understand exactly the label that says, warning, but that child won't touch that stove when it's hot because it's learned something. And the same thing is true here. So, as parents, it's our responsibility to correct our, ch our child's thoughts, their wrong deeds and actions. And if need be, we have to use the rod of correction. Now, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. There we see the Scripture teaches us in chapter 23, verse 13, 14, that if we apply the rod of correction, then the child's soul, we're working with that child's will, will shape it, mold it, and correct it, and see to it that that will submits to the will of God through the will of the parent. Do you see that? The will of the child submits to the will of God through the will of the parent. And that's why it's important that the parents are rooted and grounded in the will of God. And then, if need be, we use the rod of correction to see to it that that will is dealt with, so we save his soul, his will, from hell, from going to hell. Now, Proverbs 22, verse 15, Foolishness is bound or locked up or lodged in the heart of a child, but sending him into his room with his Nintendo game and television and comic books will drive it far from him. Isn't that what yours says? Yours doesn't say that? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction. God said that it's the rod of correction. Foolishness. A child, a young person has foolishness lodged in his heart. It's just the way it is. Of course, we've never been that way. We've always, you know, we were born with suits on and at the age of 30. Fully, you know, in control of our mental faculties and all that. We were never foolish and did foolish things. Foolishness is locked up in the heart of a child. It's the rod of correction that's going to drive it out of that child's life. If we use these other methods that our psychologists of today tell us to use, we are not using the methods of God. Believe me, what my dad told me when I was young, if you come now, you'll get one. <clears throat> if I have to chase you, you'll get five. You see, he had me figured out. He had me figured out. I was the kind of guy, you know, a little small in stature, but quick on the feet. I had my foolishness locked up in my heart. And I, whenever I did foolish things, I knew I can get away quick. Just like that. I'd just take off. And of course, he knew that. And so that's why I'm, I'm sure it's one of the reasons why he says, if I have to chase you, you'll get five. I figured, well, there it goes again. I can get all these other guys. I can pull the wool over their eyes, but not my dad. Not my dad. See, foolishness is locked up in the heart of a child. It doesn't say grounding them for a week will drive it far from them. Does it? These are things that have to be dealt with at an early age. Are you understanding this important part of it? Grounding that child is not going to drive it from them. Foolishness is locked up in the heart of a child. Taking away all these rights and privileges won't necessarily drive it from them. But the Bible says... That if we, at, from an early age, begin to use the rod of correction, we can begin to drive out that foolishness from the heart of that child. Drive it far from them by doing the same thing. By getting them to bend their will toward your will as your will is governed by the will of God. But once again, we're looking at what the Scriptures say about it. 
And obviously the scriptures say a whole lot more. Now, I had one person tell me, well, that's talking about the rod of the Word. I said, I'm sorry. You're going to have to do a little bit better research than that. I thank God that the rod, symbolically, we could say that it's the Word of God, and we know that it is. But when it comes to child training, go and do your study and research. You'll find out it's talking about the rod of correction, applying physical discipline to the physical part of the physical body that God made nice and physical so that it can be paddled. That's what it means. And yes, I know that our teachers of today will say, well, look, all you're going to do is cause that child to become a violent child. No, just put two, two children in a room, in a cubicle somewhere, and don't put anything else in there. They'll become violent. Put one toy with them. <clears throat> Come on. Put one toy, or I'll tell you what, put a hundred toys in there and let one just pick up one. Instant violence. Could you say amen, parents? Instant violence. They always want the one that the one is playing with. That's just the way it is. No, the Bible says, see, man says you'll teach a child to become violent. No, the Bible says you'll drive that foolishness out of their heart, out of their lives. And that's why some haven't had it driven far from them. Let's go on. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 30. See, they'll think twice about disobeying the laws and breaking the rules when they think about the pain that's involved with it. And they're more apt, let's say, to be obedient and lean toward not breaking the rules because they don't want to suffer the pain, which I understand that. But what if I spank my child and all of a sudden there's a little mark left on that child's bottom? Or what if they move and twist and turn and it's a little bit low and I catch them on the leg and there's a little welt there? Well, I'm glad you asked that. The blueness of a wound cleanses away evil. So do stripes, the inward parts of the belly. That's Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 30. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified also. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. And strokes for correction reach to the innermost parts. We don't set out to abuse our children. We don't set out to harm our children or to injure our children. We set out to apply physical discipline by striking only to produce a little bit of pain in that child's body for the purpose of teaching and training and educating when their minds as of yet are not to the point or to the place that they can learn and have the influence of that training make its full impact upon their minds. Should it be that something like that occurs or happens? Let's look at what the Scripture says. It's not going to kill that child. That disciplinary action will not kill that child. But that child left to himself will end up killing himself. A child left to do his own thing because he has foolishness locked up inside his heart who is not disciplined, who does not receive this kind of discipline when he or she needs it, will be left to himself and eventually end up getting in a whole heap of trouble. But this blueness of a wound, the Bible says here, is going to cleanse away evil. Think about that. And it will reach to the very inner parts of that person's life, the innermost being of that child's life. Like I said, you send a child to the room, or you ground and, and, and do this and, and do all these other things, which we've all done. For the most part, sometimes they come away with guilt. They come, they come away with resentment toward the parent. Well, you wouldn't let me do something I wanted to do so bad. Big deal. All it was made me do is just resent you for doing it, for not letting me do this or whatever. And we employ a lot of those things because for the, for the most part, once again, we fail to do exactly what God said to do. And that is to see to it that you use physical discipline because that's what's going to speak to them. And that's what's going to cleanse away the evil that's in their lives. See, we can't ignore these scriptures, beloved, 
We start cleansing away evil from a child's life at an early age by using physical discipline. And that's what the Bible says. And we'll reach their very spirit. In other words, spanking then, we saw here, reaches their innermost being, which is their spirit. Spanking saves their soul from hell. You ready for it? Make, make note of it. All three, especially for young parents out there or to-be parents. Spanking ministers to all three parts of the individual, spirit, soul, and body. Spiritually, number one, it reaches his innermost being, his spirit. They'll come with a different attitude. Matter of fact, here's one time, and I'll connect this with another scripture that talks about if we love our children, we're going to spank them when they need it. Well, BJ knew that Jason was loved because he saw all the spankings that he always got. But he didn't know that he was loved because he didn't get many spankings. So one day he decided that it was his mission of the day. I will be spanked. He just set out. That was his goal for the day. He saw how much we loved Jason. <laughs> but he had reservations about himself. He didn't know. So he woke up with this beaming light and said, I want to see whether my mom and dad love me. <laughs> and he set out, and I'm telling you, we did, because we know that he's, you know, he's just mild and agreeable. BJ do this, just like that. BJ do that, you know, what, just, just that way. I mean, quick to respond and, and obey and, and all that. But one day he just set out and he said, he's just going to do it and just going to do it, just going to do it. And he just kept on being obstinate and, and, and all that. And finally, it got to the point, you know, we gave him every, every opportunity to change, and he just would not do it. I said, BJ, you, find, you give me no choice but to spank you. Go ahead. <laughs> you, would you, but, beloved, would you believe that little boy, that the moment he got spanked, he walked over and put his arms around me and just hugged me. His whole countenance changed. His whole attitude changed. And he was back to BJ for the rest of the day. It was like he said, well, I know you love me now. I'm going to and play. It did. That's exactly what happened. It was probably the last time he got spanked. You know? But that, he just had, he had to do it. He had to do it. It affects them in spirit. It changed his whole countenance. It affects their soul. It bends their will toward the will of God through the will of the parent. That's what spanking does. And it affects their physical body because when that child touched that stove, immediately there was a response. Get away. Danger. It keeps the flesh in check. I better not do that. I got spanked last time I did it. You see, it, it deals also with the flesh because the flesh doesn't want to tolerate that pain. It makes a decision. Well, it's not worth two cracks. So, you know, I'm not going to do it. Look at Proverbs 19. We're going to have to close here in a minute. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope. Have you ever said there's just no hope for this kid? Well, chasten him while there is hope. And that's exactly what the Bible is instructing us to do. Chasten your son while there is hope and let not your soul spare for his crying. We don't like to see our children cry. You know, you'd maybe rather see them sitting there in their room somewhere and, and maybe grounded from this or that. But really, what is the ultimate effect that that has upon their lives? Here the Bible said, look, don't get so sentimental that you can't see beyond things. You've got to realize that what you're doing is out of love. What you're doing is because you love that child. And while there is hope, while there is still the opportunity to bend that child's will, to keep that flesh in check, to reach the innermost parts of his being. See, that's why, beloved, some children who have not had this kind of environment in their home life, when they grow up and they're rebellious and they get to the point because of a broken home or whatever the case is, they get to the point that, that everything is wrong in their lives and, and they don't know which way to turn, which way to go, and, and, and in trouble, out of trouble, in trouble, out of trouble all the time. We've got to send them somewhere. Why? To take them out of that realm in which they've been living, put them in another realm because we've got to deprogram that child and reprogram that child. It's a whole lot better to get them while they're young 
and apply the rod of correction to that seed of learning while there's hope to get that child's will bent the right way toward God and then we won't have to go through all those other things. And this is one reason why many even of today are having difficulties in rearing up their children. Proverbs 13 and verse 24, and we'll close with that one. Proverbs 13 and verse 24. And here we find that, again, God speaking out to us says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Here, we, again, we speak to the mentality of the people of our day, speaking to their intelligence. Well, if you really love your child, well, you wouldn't inflict any pain on them. I'm sorry, on the contrary. The Bible says you hate your child if you spare that rod. It is doing that child more good than what the, today's society says is doing damage. It is doing that child more good. It's reaching his spirit. It is reaching his soul. It is reaching his physical body, keeping it in check, bending the will, and making his heart soft, pliable, and teachable. That's what it's saying. The spirit becomes a teachable spirit, not hard-hearted and rebellious through a spanking. Now, I don't know if there's ever been a Holy Ghost spanking, but I have to say this, that when a child is spanked, I believe the Holy Ghost then begins to deal with that child's heart when you then apply truth also. And you say, when I see, son, the Bible says, obey your parents in the Lord and it'll be well with you. You live on, on the earth. You just applied the spanking. You gave the word. And you know what? In love. And you know what? The Spirit of God takes over from there. That child may sit in that room then for a little bit, but it'll be the Spirit of God that'll be invited right there and not resentment and bitterness. He that spareth the rod hates his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. In other words, when the occasion arises, when the need to discipline that child arises, if you really love your child, you will see to it that you don't spare the rod. And that's where we get the philosophy, yes, it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. But I have to do it because I really love you. And if I don't, you'll lack in spirit, in soul, and in body. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am, and I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.